If you will, grab your Bibles. And as you're grabbing your Bibles, kids are being dismissed to grades three to five. They've got their class today. And if you are a second grader as of last year and you are now a third grader this coming year, you get to go to that class now. So there's like, there were some excited second graders like, I get to move up? Yeah. Is that show moving on up? I'd start singing the song, but I'll spare you. So kids get to graduate, move up to that class. That's exciting. Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. One more book, Romans. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in this book for quite a while, and we're going to be in this chapter for quite some time. By the time we are finished, I hope you have it memorized. I'm giving you plenty of time, you know, a couple of verses every week. If you work on it, you'll, you'll get there. I'll get there, right? But this eighth chapter of Romans has been identified as one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and I see it as what I've been sharing as a radical response to grace. When you understand the grace of God, what God has done for you, it deserves some kind of radical response. When you hear what God has done for you, it should provoke something out of us to do something, to be something. And that's Romans chapter 8. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice to our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verses 1 through 4, that's where we're at today. And as we read through this, we look at this and we say there's no condemnation. We talked about that now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we belong to Jesus. And the power of that life-giving Spirit frees us from sin that leads to death. And it goes on in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. It says this, The law of Moses couldn't save us. The law couldn't save us. See, the law was established to give us direction. God said, I need something for my people to help them know what's right and what's wrong. So he gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the law. And then there was other laws that were later added on. But that law really points out and establishes for his people a way for us to live our life. Unfortunately, the law can't save us. All the law does is point out our shortcomings, our fall. Now, you know, we, we all struggle keeping rules and laws, right? Let me just give you a, a brief example, and I'm going to bet you 90% of us probably struggle with this, okay? The law posted at various times says how fast I can drive. 55. I have to be careful because there's a certain officer in the room. But anyway, I like maybe 56 or 59-ish, somewhere around there, okay? But I understand that it says 55. Now, here's the deal. If I drive 55.1 or 70, guess what? I'm breaking the law according to what was posted. Now, I'm supposed to what? Tell the truth, right? I should not lie. But what if I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so I'm going to just tell a half-truth, okay? I'm just, just a half-truth. 
guess what? Breaking the law. Regardless, I'm breaking the law. And I learned that this is what happens. Whatever I'm doing, if there's a authority says this is what you're supposed to do, and if I go beyond it, if God's word said this is what I'm supposed to do or not do, and I go beyond it and I break that law, guess what? It condemns me. It tells me I'm guilty. 55. If I go 56, guess what? I'm guilty. Tell the truth. Well, I told most of the truth. I just changed it a little bit because I don't want to hurt their I, I broke the law. I'm guilty. See, that's what the law does. The law proves that our inability to keep it. And therefore, we are guilty. But here's the good news. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to free us from the power of the law. So Jesus is our, our sin offering, so to say. He's the payment for our sins that we can't take care of ourselves. So we know that God saved us. We know that God has saved us. Isn't that good news? We're lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers, okay? We don't get that, do we? Because we all think we're pretty good people. Sorry. We're lawbreakers. So let me, let me just put a big downer on this morning's sermon, okay? We're lawbreakers. Steve already pointed out I'm imperfect. Okay? Thanks, Steve. Dave's worse than me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now I'm worse than him. No, I... We're all lawbreakers. But here's good news. Look at the person next to you and tell them good news. Tell them good news. All right, some of you didn't do it. You're not playing along. You're a lawbreaker. Okay, now look at the person next to you and tell them good news. Go for it. Try it again. There we go. Thank you for playing along. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that. Now, now, right now, there's no condemnation. You are not guilty. You're declared not guilty. You're given a new position. What's that new position? You are in Christ Jesus. You belong to Him. You're in a new relationship with the God of this universe. That is good news. We are delivered from being condemned by the law, lawbreaker, to a new position in Christ. We're freed from the power of that law too. And I'll use two big biblical words that you hear a lot and maybe you hear often, you've read it, you've heard pastors say it. But Jesus died to provide a propitiation, which we talked about Easter, okay? That's a turning aside of God's wrath. God's wrath is upon us. Jesus comes along and he turns God's wrath off of us, away from us. It's called propitiation. And then he starts what's called the process of sanctification. And sanctification is God's Spirit working through us, growing us. So God's wrath against our guilt turned aside. We're forgiven. We're told now to go and sin no more and start living a holy life. So remember, remember please, it's not living a holy life that saves us. We are saved then we live a holy life. It is not, I want to try and live a holy life and do good things, and then I am saved. It doesn't work that way. Doing good works doesn't turn God's wrath aside. Doing good works, living a holy life, that's the result of being justified, the result of being forgiven and having a new position in Christ. These verses can be found, let's do this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, okay? Put something there in Romans. Fast forward just a couple small books, okay? First, Second Corinthians, Galatians. Get to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 9. You hear me say this about every other week. Probably not that often, okay? But because it's such good truth, we need to be reminded of this. It says in 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by what? By His grace when you leave. For by grace you are saved. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. Otherwise, we would boast about it. Look at verse 10. For we're God's masterpiece. We are created new in Christ to do the good things that He planned long ago. In these verses, Paul's basically coming back to what we heard in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. We hear now in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But our salvation is the work of Jesus Christ, not us. We have nothing to do with being forgiven and placed in a new position in Christ. We have nothing to do with that. Christ did it all on the cross. We're saved by grace. Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. And why are we saved? Think about this. Why are we saved? You already heard two great many sermons already before this church service ever started with, with more worship and song. You heard there's a heaven and a hell, right? When we die, you're going to one of those two places. And you don't get to choose on your deathbed. You don't get to choose once you're dead. You make the choice now. And if you choose, well, I'm going to make my choice later. You just made your choice. Why are we saved? So I don't have to go to hell. Fire insurance. Wrong. We are saved so we have the opportunity to be in the presence of a holy God for eternity. We are saved so that we can start living that righteous life right now. Not later. Right now. We are saved by grace so that we can treat others with grace. As God shows us his mercy and grace, he gives that to us. And he goes, now you go give that to somebody else. You show grace. You show mercy. We're made right with God so that we can live holy lives. Lives that are different from everybody else in this planet. When you have a new position in Christ, you are now given God's Spirit to live different than everybody else. It's a new license. Verse 4, it says, let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Verse 4 said this, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Here's another translation for who do not live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. It says we live according, or it says we follow. That Greek word actually is peripateo, which means to walk. See, it pictures a Christian going through their life Walking on this path, we are on a journey. Who are we following? Who's, who should be in front of us leading the way? See, the direction is the character of God, but it's expressed in the law, but we see it fully in Jesus Christ. So we follow Jesus Christ. The boundaries on our side are like the law requirements. That God imposes. And so we need to make sure that we don't cross over those boundaries. The law. And if we do, we go off the path. We're no longer following Christ. Let me give you a better picture of this. Many years ago, I don't know if you've ever been to Pikes Peak out in Colorado. Some of you have been out west. You've been to various places. Pikes Peak is one of my favorite. Went to a long time ago. Colin was probably only like three or four. And we went out west. And I've always wanted to go to Pikes Peak. And we rented a car. We started driving up Pikes Peak. I'm going to tell you something. It's a lot different than a lot of the other mountains I've driven in. 
there were no guardrails for the most of the... And as you're driving along, I mean, it's drop off, okay? I don't mind it so much. Jenny hated it, okay? Now, this would have been... It reminded me back of the days when we dated. You know when you're dating somebody? You like sit like hip to hip when you're driving. You know what I'm saying? Even if you got bucket seats, you are sitting close to each other when you date. When you get, you can always tell who's married and who's not. Okay? Because when they're married, then they sit back over way on the other side. Okay? It was like we were dating again because as I'm driving and the edge is over here and there's no guardrails, Jenny was hip to hip. I'm thinking, oh, are we dating again? I'm just like, it was a beautiful thing. But she was so scared. She hated it because of the, there's no guardrails. And it, I can understand that. Uh, for me, I didn't, I didn't care too much uh, about that steepness, about the drop-off, about the curves going every which direction. Okay? But driving without guardrails can be very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because we know you can go off the side and you most likely will plunge to death. A very, very, very real possibility. Now, most often, like I say, when you're driving up steep mountains, you see the guardrails. It's funny. In Ohio, we have guardrails along a lot of places. We're like, oh, don't fall off that five-foot edge, okay? You know what I'm saying? We got those kind of guardrails. And it's like, it has to make people out west just laugh when they drive through. Like, whew, glad I had the guardrails there. I almost went into the cornfield, okay? But those guardrails are there for a purpose, right? They warn us that if we get off the path, if we go off the road, there's probably imminent danger for us or our vehicles, right? Our passengers. But here's the thing. Guardrails don't save us, do they? They just give us that boundary. Rick, you've probably had to replace guardrails before, haven't you? People run it. It doesn't save them. It protects them. It warns them that if you go over that guardrail, you're probably going to go somewhere you shouldn't go. Does that make sense? That's God's word. That's God's laws. God's laws are in place for us like guardrails. Because when we bust up against the side of God's law and we decide to step over God's law, we're now in a direction we do not want to go. We'll most likely get hurt. We'll most likely hurt someone else. And so God's law is like that guardrail, helping us have a boundary so we don't drive off the life of our road, so to say. So as one who's saved, okay, church, as one who proclaims, not guilty, now no condemnation, not guilty, right? We now travel on this road, this path of Christianity. We follow Jesus Christ. Where are our eyes? When you're driving down the road, your eyes are straight ahead, right? It's like you're not driving going, ooh, look at that guardrail. Ooh, look at that guardrail. Right? Our eyes are straight ahead on Jesus Christ. But isn't it funny in Christianity... We drive through life always worried about the law. Always worried about what I shouldn't be doing as a Christian. I shouldn't be doing as a Christian. Instead, it should be what? I should be following Jesus. The focus should be on holiness. Here's a problem. Even on that path as we journey through life with Jesus Christ, guess what we do? You already heard it once this morning, maybe twice. We trip up. We sin. We mess up. We make mistakes. We fall. But as Christians, what do we do? We don't stay down. We get back up. We stay on the path. We move forward. Paul says this. We who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. This verse is huge. And we can just just read over it real quick. Not even think about it right. 
but it's important for us to hear this. If I'm not guilty, if therefore I am new in Christ, who am I following now? I want to follow the Spirit. I do not want to follow my sinful nature. Okay? But how do we do this? How do we say no to sin? How do we stay on the path and keep our eyes forward on Jesus and continue to do this when in life we trip up so often? So we have to learn how to exercise a few muscles. Okay? So let me ask you real quickly, which muscle we need to start exercising. Some of you are like, whoa, is this Zumba class or whatever? Going to get a little yoga going on? No, no. But there's some muscles we need to learn to exercise as Christians if we're going to continue on this Christian path, this life of living for Christ. So let me ask you this. Anybody know how many skeletal muscles there are in your body? If you guess about 600 or more, you're correct. Think about that. 600 skeletal muscles in our bodies. It's almost like I thought I had like two or three, and I usually fill them after I do something I don't normally do, right? You've got a lot of muscles in your body. The hardest working muscle is probably what? The heart. Think about this. It pumps more than 2,500 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of veins and arteries and capillaries every single day. Isn't that amazing? It has the capacity to beat more than 3 billion times without skipping a beat. Isn't it awesome what God has created within us? Don't we wish we had cars that ran like that? We can't even build a car that does half of that. But God built a body that does. God's awesome. Largest muscle is what? Gluteus maximus. You know what that is? You're using it right now, okay? Despite what you've probably heard, the strongest muscle is not your tongue. It's actually, by weight and exerting force, the masseter muscle, which is in the jaw, which clenches your teeth and brings down 200 pounds onto your molars. Muscles. The muscles in your eyes are your most active muscles. If you read a book for an hour... Your eyes will make 10,000 coordinated movements. Wow. You just read for an hour, your eyes got a big workout, right? And then there's 43 muscles in your face, most of which are controlled by the seventh cranial nerve. According to one study, it takes 43 muscles to frown and 17 muscles to smile. So if you're frowning a lot, you're working out way too hard. (laughs) Work less, smile more. Good. A lot of you are working less right now. That's good. So which is the most important muscle? I just named off five of them, right? Okay, which one is the most important muscle? I'm going to give you a muscle I didn't name. It's called the no muscle. The no muscle, okay? Tough muscle to flex when you're on a diet and a piece of peanut butter pie steps in front of you, right? No, right? For some gentlemen... It's a muscle you have to flex. If you are a married man in this room and a beautiful girl walks by, you have to flex your no muscle in looking away and not looking back. Tough muscle to flex. When you're tempted to hit that snooze button in the morning, you're getting up early to maybe spend time with God, and you're about ready to hit that snooze button, like, nope, no, I'm getting up. Getting up to spend time with God this morning. It's an important muscle, but how do you work it? Because we know for our heart, we know how to work our heart, cardiovascular, right? If you're going to work your pectoral muscles, you're going to bench press. If you're going to work your biceps, you're going to do curls. If you're going to work your quads, you're going to do squats. But how do you work that no muscle? Church, as believers in Jesus Christ, this is an important muscle to work. If we're going to follow not our sinful nature, but follow Jesus Christ, we have to learn how to use the no muscle. 
So God steps in to help us and says, I've got a personal trainer for you. Just what you needed because you're having problems working that no muscle. I'm going to send you a personal trainer. Verse 3, we see that God sends his own son in the body. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, an amazing thing, right? Given a body just like us. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Sin's controls us, right? God says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. He's going to die for you. He's going to live for you. And he's going to wipe out all that control that sin has over you. Through that sacrifice, we are forgiven, Romans 8.1, and we're given a new position, Romans 8.2. And we no longer have to follow that sinful nature. He teaches us to say no through the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, works in us to say no to sin and yes to holiness. God's Holy Spirit helps us exercise our no muscle. Now, there's a term used in sports. Some of you heard this, you hear it a lot. It's called muscle memory, right? You perform a skill over and over and over again, repeated performing the muscle action multiple times until eventually that skill is learned and you never forget it. For some of us, riding a bike is like muscle memory. You learn to do it as a kid, you get it as a kid, take some years off, you go back, you pop back on a bike, you remember how to do it. Muscle memory's kicking in, right? Here's the thing. Muscle memory isn't stored in your muscles. Okay? It's procedural memory that is stored in your brain. And anytime you repeat this muscle movement, it kicks in up here first. So whether you're putting a golf ball, swinging a baseball bat, playing the violin, doing a dance routine, the muscle memory becomes stronger the more it's repeated. That's crazy, okay? In high school, not only did I sports, I was also in swing choir, Okay? Yes, that's hard to believe. I get it, okay? So if you ever see me doing these poses, it was a swing choir move, okay? But it was, I was, as I was going through this sermon a couple days ago, I was sitting there going, I wonder if I remember when I stood up, I was like, one, two, three. I was like, oh, that was 30 years, wait, something like that. It was many years ago. Muscle memory, right? It's like, I haven't done that. Yeah, okay. But that, and I shouldn't be doing that. But anyway... In Malcolm uh, Gladwell's book called Tipping Point, psychologist Kay Anderson Erickson says, uh, it talks about, it's called the 10,000-hour rule. Now, you maybe, maybe not have heard this 10,000-hour rule. But basically, it goes like this. The minimum amount, the minimum amount it takes to become an expert in anything is roughly 10,000 hours. Okay? Which means there's no shortcuts. It doesn't matter how, you know, how gifted you are, how talented you are, you still need to put in 10,000 hours to become an expert at this, whatever it may be, okay? So if you're going to get your black belt in karate or become fluent in a foreign language, maybe a great craftsman with woodworking, 10,000 hours. It's going to take you to become an expert, okay? Now, I was thinking about this. How long is it then going to take me to become an expert in holiness through Christ? Is it going to take me 10,000 hours? It might. It might take a lifetime. It might take a lifetime for me to figure out doing this memory, uh, muscle memory over and over spiritually as well. Do you remember your first prayer? Some of you think back, you probably can't remember your first prayer. How did you pray to God? Was it like really simple like, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for food. Thank you for mom and dad. Maybe that was it. 
Let me ask you this. What's your prayer life today like? Is it still like it was when you first prayed? If it is, you're not growing. Remember the first time you read the Bible and you tried to share something from the Bible? How about now? Is there a difference when you first read the Bible and tried to share something? And now, when you're reading the Bible and trying to share something, has that grown? You know, some of us, you know, we sit there and think, hey, I'm going on vacation, I'm going to the lake, I'm going to the beach, and I want to have a beach body. In other words, I'm out of shape, and I want to look a little bit better when I walk outside without my shirt on, or, you know, I get my swimsuit on, whatever it may be, right? So you work out, so you're not embarrassed, right? Let me ask you this. Anybody got their Jesus body on right now? You feel comfortable where you're at in your Jesus body? Are you working out right now so you're not ashamed? You know what I'm saying? If you aren't growing, why aren't you? I'm not growing. That's pretty pathetic. I want to be growing in Christ. I want to be disciplining myself every day. Because here's the thing. If, what would you say to an 18-year-old that's still in first grade? I don't want to conjugate verbs, and I don't want to learn multiplication. I'm just going to sit here in first grade because it's pretty awesome. You look at that 18-year-old and you say what? Two words. Grow up. Right? Why are we not okay with that in education, but we're okay with that spiritually? We can't do that spiritually. Are we still praying like we first did when we were first a Christian? Are we still worshiping like we were when we first became a Christian? Are we still reading the Bible like we are when we first became a Christian? I hope not. I hope we're all growing. I hope our prayer life is stronger, deeper. I hope our, our passion to get into God's Word is greater than it was before. I hope our worship is different than when it was day one. I hope we are growing. So we are saved. We are justified. We are in a new position in Christ. But here's the thing. Now it's time to grow. So we learn to use that no muscle and saying, no to sin. And here's the thing. As we learn to say no to sin, we say yes to holiness. We say yes to holiness. We want God's Spirit to get a work in our life and start disciplining us. Notice Him. Yes to holiness. And we have to pray. We have to ask God's Spirit. God, according to what I'm reading in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, let's read it again. He did this so the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, who no longer walk that path on the sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Are we following the Spirit? God, send your spirit. Just help me, Lord, to be more passionate about you. Galatians chapter 5. Let me read this to you. Galatians 5, 16. We'll just throw the reference up there on the screen. Let me read this to you. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Like a trainer, like I was talking about. As you're on that path, I want somebody to, to help me walk down this path. Who's going to be my guide? If I'm out on a national park, there's all kinds of forest rangers and, and guides out there that help. Hey, this is the right path to take. That's the wrong path. You don't want to take that path. This is a very strenuous path. It's very easy. There's guides out there, right? As we read this, I'm thinking spiritually my life. I look at this and I say, let the Holy Spirit guide my life. Look at this. Then, when the Holy Spirit guides our lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature of desires. These two forces are constantly 
fighting each other. So you're not free to carry on your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation of what? The law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins just like these. Let me tell you, I've said it before, anyone living that kind of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Really, Paul? Yes, really. Then he says this, but, 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 the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. And what the law couldn't do, God's going to do by giving us his spirit. So those who follow the spirit, not the sinful nature, listen very carefully, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against those things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Listen to this, verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, since we're walking on this journey of Christ, we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. You mean the way I use my mouth? Yes, that's part of your life. In the way I use my head? Yes. In the way I interact with people? Yes. In the way I handle my money? Yes. Every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited and provoke one another on. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. Church, we need the Holy Spirit working in us. Like, oh, he's going to get all Pentecostal. Uh, Call whatever you want. God the Father. We worship Him, Almighty. God the Son, Jesus Christ, we talk about God the Holy Spirit. That's part of the Trinity, just as important as the first two. And without God's Spirit, we cannot walk the Christian life like we need to walk. So are we praying, God, Your Spirit, I need to help me walk and live today. I want to follow You. Help me to show joy today instead of sorrow. God, give me patience instead of impatience. Give me self-control and discipline because right now I have no self-control and discipline. Are you praying that, asking that? You know, I was out in my yard uh, very early spring and there's two places I wanted to plant grass. It's like, I really want to get rid of this. I want more grass there. I want more, I want more yard. So, you know, you sort of ripped up and rototilled and got done and then planted seed. But here's the thing about when you plant grass. You've got to water it every day. You've got to water it every day. And here's what I know about sin. Sin is like a seed. If I plant sin in my life, it's going to start to grow. And if I water that sin today, it's going to grow more. And if I water that sin tomorrow, it's going to grow more. Two examples. Just to give you an idea. If you struggle with lust... You can't help it when somebody walks by that's beautiful or good-looking or whatever, and, and you okay, well, God's creation. Praise God, okay? But here's the thing. The second time they walk by, and now you're, boom, focused on that person, you just watered that seed sin. And then you start thinking about that person a little bit more and fantasizing, you just watered the seed sin. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you struggle with gossip or spreading rumors. Again, 
Somebody shares something about somebody else. And you're sitting there just listening intently, but then you join the conversation. You just water the seeds in. And then you sort of go on out and decide, pick up the phone, and you're going to share that with somebody else because it was really juicy, it was really good. You just watered the seeds in. Sin is like a seed. Once it's planted, if you water it, it will grow. Now, here's the good news. Just as this works with sin, the same thing is true of holiness. The same thing is true of holiness. You can pick up God's Word, read a little bit. It's a good seed that just got planted. Pick it up again and read some more. That's watering it. Pick it up again tomorrow, read some more. That's watering it. Holiness works in the same way. You put down games and social media and you spend time in prayer. That's more water. And the more you water it, the greater it grows. The less you water it, the sooner it dies. It's a simple principle that we see throughout the Bible, right? You just walk outside and you see this principle in action. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, So let's not get tired of doing what's good. For those of you that work out, about halfway through the workout, you're tired, right? But guess what? Because you're being disciplined and you're trying to train up your muscles, you're going to stay with your workout. It gets tiring sometimes living for Jesus Christ trying to live a holy life. But do not give up. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, Paul says. We also notice about farmers. Farmers go out and they plant beans in a field. They don't walk out to the field and the beans are starting to sprout and they come up like, whoa, I thought corn would come up. Didn't you plant beans? I planted beans, but I thought corn would come up. Now, if that's the case, that person shouldn't be farming anymore. First of all, let me say that, okay? But here's the thing. There should be no surprise when in your life you plant sin and you're expecting holiness to pop up. It ain't going to happen. I'm not going to be doing these bad things and expect good things to happen. God's not going to bless that. What did you plant? That's what's going to come up. Ask yourself, are you planting love or hate? Are you planting joy or ingratitude? Are you planting respect or disrespect? Are you planting patience or impatience? What are you planting? You can't break the law of sowing and reaping, but it can break you. If you're planting the wrong seeds, it can break you. We need to realize that God can't do something new in us if we keep doing the old stuff. We have to do something different. It doesn't matter if you want to be a world-class skater or musician, you have to make decisions to plant the right thing and then water it every day. Making the decision not to do something, that's half the battle. The other half is making the decision to do something right. If you want to break a bad habit, build a good one. It's called the law of displacement. Break a sin habit, establish a prayer habit. Church, let me ask you this. Are we living by the Spirit? Are we living by the Spirit? Are we planting good seed? Listen, we're not saved just to avoid sin. We're not saved just to avoid death and hell. I believe we're called to advance the kingdom of God. I want you to think about this church. What did did Jesus say? I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We are the church. We're called to advance the kingdom of God, not just hold the fort down. By the way, gates were defensive measures. 
So if the gates of hell is not supposed to be prevailed, right? Guess what? That means we should be on the offense. As a church, we should not be kicking back. It's like, oh, sin seems to be having its way. And, oh, wow, the church, you know, just got... No, the church has got to stand up. Church has got to stand up. We're walking in the Spirit. We're following Jesus. We're following Jesus at work. We're following Jesus at play. We're following Jesus throughout. We aren't just a being in the church one day out of the week. We are being the church. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer condemned. So we stop living in guilt. We said that last week, right? We've been justified through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now we're living in a daily process of sowing and reaping. A holy work within us. Changing us from the inside out. Church, you're free. You are free. You're free to live a holy life that honors God. You're free to see the work of God's Holy Spirit working through you. You are free. And it's not about living a life better than the person sitting next to you today. It's about you living a life that's free in Jesus Christ. Do me a favor. From here out, from here out, let's change your label of your name. Some of you in here maybe have done this. I'm going to help you out. We talked about this many years ago. Okay? You are no longer sinners saved by grace. Okay? Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are not. Paul changed that term in the New Testament. He calls us saints. God's holy, chosen, beloved ones. If you look at yourself with a negative label, you will continue to walk in a negative way. You are saved by grace. You're a child of God. Holy and loved. So here's our challenge, our workout. As a child of God, who is loved, who's called to live a holy life, to walk that path in following Jesus Christ, this week, call upon your spiritual trainer. Ask for God's Holy Spirit to start working in your area in ways that you need to stop planting bad things. Start working that no muscle. Start saying yes to holiness. God, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? That honors you. What is it? Will you do that? Will you surrender to the Holy Spirit this week and let him be your personal trainer? Can't do it on our own, can we? We all try. We can't do it. Would you please stand? Worship team, would you come forward? Church, before we pray, Steve got done sharing something about salvation. And when he got done, I was like... (laughs) Finish it. Some of you have had a lot of time to chew on what he said. The thing is, you can't live with God's Spirit working in you if you haven't first surrendered to the God of this universe. If you've not asked for forgiveness, if you've not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you don't have God's Spirit to help you live that holy life. As I pray, if you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, Right now is the time to do it. Make sure, not just of your final destination, heaven or hell, but of where you are today and living for Him. And maybe, church, you're sitting there saying, I'm struggling with a sin habit. Learn to, learn to use that no muscle. But you can't do it on your own. You need God's Spirit to help you. Call upon Him. Call upon Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this church. Thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the time we've had to open up your word. But more importantly, God, thank you for sending your son coming in the flesh as Jesus Christ. 
to conquer sin, to conquer death, to take that penalty so that we can have new life. A life that says, I'm going to follow, I'm going to walk in the way of the Spirit, not my sinful nature. And God, we do thank you for the law. We thank you for, as we look back at the Old Testament, we see some of the rules and laws. We thank you for those guardrails, for those boundaries. Because without those, we would be off on destructive directions, hurting ourselves. So God, we thank you for the law, but God, we thank you for your spirit now that lives within us, that helps us move forward following you. But God, it's going to be hard to do that if we don't know you first. God, there might be somebody here this morning that needs to just right now just confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord. It's real simple because you're already tugging at them. All they need to do just ask for forgiveness. Proclaim that you are God and ask you to come into your life to be their Savior. But God, you didn't come here just to save us. You came here to lead us, to be our Lord. So God, we ask for your Spirit to be like that trainer spiritual trainer in life to help us say no to the sinful nature say yes to holiness God we need that today we need that every hour every minute God thank you continue to work in our heart Lord as we sing to you now in the name we pray Amen